Hey, greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Lieutenant Colonel Allen West here, and welcome to the Steadfast and Loyal Podcast. I am Lieutenant Colonel Allen West, and throughout my life, from military to public service, the right to bear arms responsibly has been a fundamental belief. That's why I stand with United Patriot Supply. They're redefining what it means to be a firearms dealer by combining the experience and know-how of a traditional gun shop together with the selection and pricing power of a modern e-commerce company. Stop by our flagship store in Seneca, Kansas, or visit us online at unitedpatriotsupply.com. Hey, greetings, everyone, and welcome back to the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. You know, many of us sit around and maybe we watch the White House correspondent briefings and uh, the press secretary up there, Corrine Jean-Pierre, I think some people call her the mouthpiece. Um, but there's one individual that causes her a lot of consternation, and we've seen some of the back and forth, and that's Simon Ataba. And Simon is a chief White House correspondent for Today's News Africa, covering President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, the United States government, the United Nations, the International Monetary Fund, the World Bank, and other financial and international institutions in Washington and New York. And we're so very humbled to have Simon join us here at the Steadfast and Loyal podcast. Thank you for joining us, Simon. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So how did you get involved in, you know, journalism and, you know, what was it that inspired you to take this path? So I always love people. Yeah. I always love uh, telling people stories. Mm -hmm. and, and when I came to the U.S., I realized that we didn't really have that intersection between the U.S. and Africa. We had mainly uh, news in the U.S. that focused on the U.S. And we had newspapers in Africa that focused mainly on Africa. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to have that intersection where we could focus on U.S.-Africa relations. And I began by covering the State Department. I would go to, you know, everything that has to do with USAID. And, and I did a bunch of press conferences. I remember waking up 3 a.m., uh, because the U.S. Africa Media Hub is based in Johannesburg in South uh -huh. Africa. Uh -huh. And so usually they have these press briefings at 8 a.m. their time. And it's like 4 or 2 a.m. here in Washington, D.C. Yeah. And I'd be on the call. I would tell them, hey, you know, could you give me the first question? Because I'm still, I want to go back to bed. <laughs> and it's and so I began doing that. I did several years at the State Department, several years covering USAID, several years covering anything that had to do with US Africa. And 
Sometime in 2021, after President Biden won the presidential election, I decided, we decided to permanently cover the White House. And the reason we did that was because, you know, a year earlier, a few years earlier, the New York Times um, said President Trump called Africa a shithole nation. <laughs> yeah. And, and so we decided that, yeah. you know, we have a good guy who has now gone to who is going to the white house uh, and who will allow us to really build that relationship really improve you know the conversation between the us and africa and so we began to cover the white house in 2021 full time we yeah. used to go there before when president trump was there but it wasn't something we were doing full time mm -hmm. and and once I got there, I began to experience what I call discrimination from the Biden White House. Um, in November 2021, the White House decided to ban eight African nations from, you know, coming to the U.S. because um, President Biden decided um, because South Africa had just identified the Omicron variant. Yeah. COVID-19 and informed the World Health Organization. And how did President Biden react? President Biden reacted by banning South Africa and banning seven other African nations, even though six of those African nations had zero cases of the Omicron variant. And even though there were hundreds of cases in the UK, in Hong Kong, in different places around the world, they decided not to ban them but they ban only African nations. And I found it not to be fair. And so when Jen Psaki, who was the press secretary, mm -hmm. came to the White House and tried to explain why they decided to ban African nations, I challenged her. And from that time, we be, I began to have uh, experience all kinds of problems at the White House. They won't call on me. They sideline me. They won't... Um, you know, they used to call me our friend Simon when I, b before I challenged them, they will receive me in their office and say our friend Simon is here. But when I began to challenge them, I realized that they were not actually respect, they didn't respect me. Yeah. Because you respect someone when they ask you key questions that the people really care about. But once I did that, they began to disrespect me and they began to skip over me. They began to sideline me and so from there from that time everything went down down here so basically what you're saying is that the biden administration and their communications uh department has an ideological agenda they have a narrative that they want to get out there and doggone you if you challenge that narrative or you ask them a question to try to explain that. So when you look at the policies of the Biden administration, you just talked about, you know, banning several African countries because of the Omicron virus, which several of those countries did not have any traces of. What are some of the other policies? Because we just saw this, you know, climate change, global, whatever you want to call it, uh, event there in the Middle East. You know, you see all of this pushing about green energy and everything onto, you know, what, you know, Africa and other places. Is that something that the, the nations of Africa on that continent really want? Or is this something that they're almost being blackmailed to accept in order to get, you know, funding? Yeah, most of them don't actually want anything that has to do with the new climate change policy and even the LGBTQ agenda. Um, I respect everyone. I believe that people should be who they want to be. Mm -hmm. 
but you know trying to push the agenda to african nation you know what happened in uganda mm -hmm. the biden administration decided to cut funding or cut uh, financial assistance to uganda because the ugandan um, assembly decided to pass what the biden administration called the anti-lgbtq um, law yeah and the president signed it into law and president biden didn't want that no one in washington dc liberal in washington dc didn't want that so they decided to punish uganda and and so I want people who are listening to us now to understand. It's not like the president of Uganda decided to sign a law without going through um, the parliament. Yeah, the law went through the parliament. The country decided that this is what we want to do, and and then he just signed it into law. And President Biden decided to punish them. They don't want it, and they also want the U.S. to be fair when it comes to global conflict. Mm -hmm. You know the. The Israel and Palestine conflict, you know, a lot of countries around the world have actually lost respect uh, for the U.S. when it comes to human rights. Um, it's so hard. That's why President Biden didn't go to Dubai yeah. last, was it last week for yeah, last the climate. Week. And because people hate him, people don't actually like him. When he came to power, he was supposed to be that guy who was going to unify the international community said that President Trump did so many bad things. He, you know, took the U.S. off the WHO and he was going to be the guy to rebuild those relationships. But right now, people actually don't want to have anything to do with President Biden because of what they see as double standard, not just in the Middle East. Um, but also in the agenda, the climate change, the LGBTQ and different other things. And to give you a concrete example, last in 2022, uh, the Secretary of State Blinken had to travel to South Africa to unveil the new U.S. Africa policy. The reason they did that be was because a few months earlier, when Russia invaded Ukraine, mm -hmm. there was a vote at the U.N. General Assembly. And the U.S. realized that they didn't actually have the support of many African nations. They were not building relationships with Africa. They were looking down on them. And then Blinken had to go there in August or July or August 2022 to unveil that policy. That policy had really nothing in it. And in December 2022, they had the second U.S.-Africa Leaders Summit in Washington, D.C., I, as an African, someone who covers U.S. and Africa relations, when they were having U.S. Africa U.S. Africa um, Leaders Summit in Washington D.C., I wasn't allowed to ask a question at the White House about the summit to Karine Jean Pierre to show you the level of disrespect. So people watch it. They see me try to ask questions. They see me try to do the job. And they realize that, you know, the guy who was supposed to be the good guy, rebuild relations with Africa, rebuild international relations, is actually not doing the right thing. It's actually worse than the guy who was there before. The guy they demonized. They've said that Trump was the worst guy. But Trump actually, you know, um, was coming to the White House briefing room to brief the media, President Biden, in three years has not come to the White House uh, press briefing to uh, take questions. And 
you know, with the election coming up, we, we are not even sure that we'd be able to make it. You know, when we look at this change in policy, uh, and, and we know that President Biden, his polling numbers are suffering here in the United States of America. What do you think have been the top two contributors to the lack of respect and regard for the Biden administration on the international uh, stage? Yes. So there's the first of all is lack of respect. You know, in December 2022, as I said, he invited almost all the 55 African nations, almost all of them. There were 50 of them who came to Washington, D.C., had them in the room to meet with him, but didn't actually schedule any one-on-one with any of them. So, and, and I want people who are listening to understand that Africa has between almost 50 to 50, 54 to 55 countries. When you have 50 African leaders in Washington, D.C., it means you have the entire continent mm-hmm. of Africa in Washington, D.C. So President Biden invited those people to Washington, D.C., but doesn't, didn't actually schedule a one-on-one meeting with any of them. And so had them in one big meeting uh, in one big hall and, you know, began to lecture them. And so there's that lack of respect. There's also lack of um the fact that people begin to realize that the U.S. doesn't actually abide by what they preach, human rights. Many people are watching the Israel-Palestine conflict. And of course, they, 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 they believe that Israel has the right to defend itself. They believe that you can't go to a country and kill innocent uh, women and children and expect that country to do nothing. But they also believe that when you bomb thousands of children and women to death, and, and and the U.S. watches it and actually supports it. I mean, it's crazy, you know. So people are watching it and they are realizing that you know, we actually don't. These people actually don't respect human rights. They are not fair to all people. They don't treat all people who look differently the same way. And also, there's the fact that China is increasing. Uh, relations in Africa. Yeah, I want to. Yeah, I want to ask about that because, yeah. uh, but but before I get to the China thing, but don't the the leaders in Africa see that Hamas, which is a terrorist organization, uh, they are using you know their own people as human shields. They are you know putting their headquarters and things near hospitals. They are you know you know, putting their own folks in danger. They are the ones that are killing some of their own people that are trying to get on evacuation routes that the Israelis have provided so that they can get away from this. Uh, Do we we have a, a, is there a propaganda issue? Is there a messaging issue? Yeah, Yeah, people don't really see it that way because most people, you know, the president of South Africa came out in support of probe of Palestine. Yeah. Um, and South Africa is one of the biggest countries oh, yeah. in Africa. Yeah. The, the way people look at it, people don't see that the conflict started on October 7th. They believe that the international community has failed to do the right thing, mm-hmm. to bring peace to the region. And they believe that um, they condemn terrorism, they condemn Hamas. No one... I mean, no one wants a terror organization that is sending rockets into Israel, sending 
thousands of people to massacre innocent civilians, innocent women and children. Everyone condemns that. No one wants that. But they also understand that when you bomb Gaza and thousands of children who are not terrorists are killed, um, even when you try to explain that these people are being used by Hamas as human shield, uh, it's really hard for people to understand that, especially when, um, you know, when, um, as you said, there's already a level of propaganda and people don't see that. People just see that the international community is not doing the right thing, not trying to have a two-state solution. And But that's, and been, that's been rejected so often. And you go back to 2005 when Israel said, we're, we're out of here and, and here's Gaza. And since 2005, I think the international community has to accept the fact that an organization has been the governing authority in Gaza that has said, we exist to exterminate, to eradicate an entire race of people. Uh, and, and, yeah. and so I think that, you know, do the, you know, President Trump tried to push the Abraham Accords to get peace there. But what we have seen is that we've gone backwards because President Biden is supporting Iran and opening up uh, dialogue with Iran and opening up financial uh, opportunities for Iran. And what does Iran do? They support Houthi rebels, Hezbollah, Hamas, Islamic terrorism. So I think that one of the things that the international community has to do a better job, and, and you being a journalist, we got to get truth out there. Uh, because there are certain propaganda and there are certain narratives out there, such as when they said Israel bombed uh, a hospital and killed a bunch of people. Yeah, that was false. Yeah, that and, was false. And, and, and yeah, and, yeah. and so we got to yeah. be careful of that. But so, so there's a lot of lies. There are a lot of lies when it comes to um, um, when it comes to the war. Yeah. about you know, Israel bombing hospital, Israel. Um, deliberately targeting civilians because yeah. that's what they say yeah but in the end when you have like thousands of people who are dead um especially when you have women and children who are dead and you know it's really hard to convince people a lot of people in africa didn't actually don't actually uh, know the true story mm. uh, you know most people um feel that Palestine is occupied and that they are being oppressed and that the, the only way to free themselves is to take up arms. And I believe that it should be a better way. Yeah, um, I mean, I that, even, yeah, I I mean, even Golda Meir once said that you know, if the quote-unquote Arab people there, the Palestinians, laid down their weapons, there'd be peace. But if Israel lays down their weapons, we saw what happened. There'll, there'll be a mass genocide. But let's talk about terrorism on the continent of Africa, even. How are we standing up and fighting back against Boko Haram and al-Shabaab uh, and some of these other terrorist organizations that have found a foothold in the continent of Africa? Okay, so um, it is the same thing, right? Um, I used to live in Nigeria when Boko Haram started. And I remember I went to Cameroon the first time I was arrested and thrown into a cell 
was when I went to cover the refugees, the Nigerian refugees in Chad and Cameroon. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw how terrorist organizations actually operate. Most people have never seen how they operate. There's no law, there's nothing. Yeah. They, you know, they just kill people. Um, but it also had to do with injustices. A lot of those places in northern Nigeria, the government had abandoned those places. There was no development, no schools, uh, no basic amenities for the people. So it was easier for them to be recruited by those terror organizations. Yeah. So one of the ways to really fight it is not just to go after them and fight them, but it's also to provide the basic necessities for the people. And so I saw it there in northern Nigeria where the terrorists were actually the one providing food and providing basic things to the people. And as a result, it was easier for them to recruit people in the society and it became really hard for the government to come in. And so you have to do both things at the same time. You need to fight them, trying to dismantle them. Uh, by militarily, but also the info war, yeah. trying to, you know, the, the war against their propaganda, yeah. but also trying to pro provide the basic things to the people. If you don't provide the basic things to the people, uh, it's almost impossible for you to win against them. Well, I mean, and that's the nature of a counterinsurgency. Uh, that's what we saw. I mean, you can go back to Vietnam with the Viet Cong, and you can go to Afghanistan with what the Taliban tried to do. And so there is that synergy. It's not just the bullets, but it is also having the information operation. It is also making sure that you don't have those disaffected communities, which become re recruitment pools. Let's shift and talk about another country that is making inroads into the continent of Africa, and that's China. What do you see with the big concerns of what China is doing in Africa? Because it seems they're coming in, they're taking a lot of resources out of the continent of Africa, but are they really trying to benefit the people of Africa? No, they're not. And, and I've said it, that's why one of the reasons we started Today News Africa because we realized that China was buying everywhere, buying everything, recruiting people, shipping um, natural and mineral resources out of the continent of Africa. Uh, last year, there was a hearing at the Senate, the U.S. Senate, mm -hmm. and the head of the U.S. Africa Command was asked, was the greatest threat, U.S. threat in Africa, and he said China. And he, one of the things he mentioned were, was the mineral and rare resources. 40% of the rare resources being used by rare minerals, being used by US companies come from Africa. And right now, the Chinese are building military bases mm -hmm. around all those resources. Mm -hmm. And so very soon, they'll be able to pick the US out of the continent of Africa, um, and and they're also building a propaganda machine. You have uh, Chinese media houses, they're investing in bloggers and, you know, all the opinion leaders. And, and so that's how they are doing it. They are not uh, providing jobs uh, to the continent of Africa. Uh, we have um, sometimes they ship their own Chinese to come and take the jobs in Africa. 
they are exploiting mineral resources but the problem is the u.s doesn't really help the u.s is not doing enough the biden administration has almost abandoned the continent of africa when it comes to strengthening those ties especially economic ties uh -huh. um, and you know it's sad and so when i'm at the white house and president biden is hosting 50 african leaders and I want to ask those questions, what the U.S. is doing to strengthen U.S.-Africa ties. Uh, and, you know, and I'm being sidelined. And actually, the White has recruited people from the Washington Post, the New York Times, the Daily Beast, and Politico to write uh, disparaging stories about me. And, mm. and I see how China is expanding. And, you know, it's sad. It's almost like a curse where... They don't really see the big picture. They don't see what's going on. And instead of allowing me to strengthen those ties, to build that platform, to strengthen the, that those conversations with Africa, yeah. they actually they actually don't do that. They actually work against me. Simon, I got to ask you this hard, tough question. Do you, as a journalist, believe that we are looking at censorship of freedom of the press and freedom of speech here in the United States of America based upon some of your experiences? Yes. Um, one of the greatest things in the U.S. is the freedom of speech, the First Amendment. Almost no countries, most countries in the world don't actually have it. When I came to the U.S. for the first time, I knew that I came to a free country where you can tweet, where you can post, where you can publish, where you can be who you are and where you can ask questions that you really want to ask without fear of discrimination or retaliation. And my experience at the White House has shown me that when you try to do your job and you ask the question that you, the American people and the American allies really care about, um, you are sidelined. Um, they kicked me out of the White House Correspondents Association this year. Mm. They, you know, they took my hard pass, my White House hard pass uh, in August this year. I sued them. Um, and we see what's going on online where you write some stuff against vaccines and the big pharma, big tech. And the next day, you are no more on Facebook. Um, you know, Glenn, Glenn Greenwald, mm -hmm. the, his account, his TikTok account was just suspended because he criticized the government and the CIA. And so things that happen in the U.S. are things that we use. I used to see in Africa and we used to say, OK, you know, this is the third world. We, if you go to the U.S. in the first world, you know, the superpower, the most powerful country in the world, you're not going to have those types of censorship. And now in the U.S., I'm seeing that we are facing almost the same thing. And it's actually worse because if there's censorship in the U.S., is there's no freedom of speech in the U.S., uh, you won't be able to have, we won't be able to have freedom of speech anywhere in the world. The reason the U.S. is still the greatest and most powerful country in the world is because of the the freedom of speech, yeah. free press, the, the, the ability to speak freely. Um, the U.S. is not China. The U.S. is not Russia. Uh, and But the U.S. is almost becoming like those countries. Wow. As we get ready to wrap up this interview, 
what is the biggest challenge for the continent of Africa and what's the biggest challenge for America-African relations? I have said the biggest challenge for the relation, the U.S.-Africa relations is respect, mutual respect and um, and dialogue. And, you know, I'm not talking about monologue where the U.S. is dictating, you know, telling Africans what they want to, how they should behave, which policy they need to implement, um, pushing LGBTQ, uh, climate change, and all kinds of agenda. I'm talking about having a serious dialogues with African leaders and the African people, understand what they really want, what their needs are, and and build upon that. If you can't listen to the people, if you don't respect the people enough to listen to what they have to say, uh, you will continue to push uh, the type of agenda that they don't actually want. When the Vice President Kamala Harris went to Africa, she went to tell them about the iPhone. <laughs> Most people in Africa can't actually afford iPhone. People yeah. want to eat, people are hungry, they need access to healthcare, access to education, access to basic technology, access to communication. And there's a lot of there are a lot of opportunities there in Africa, and the U.S. can actually leverage on those opportunities. But you, it has to be a two-way relationship where you listen to the people, and then you do what the people want instead of you trying to impose things on the people. And one of the biggest challenges is also me. You need to allow me to strengthen, do play my part, yeah. play my part build that platform, have those conversations with African and, uh, you know, Americans, people who are interested in the relationship between the U.S. and Africa. But if you sideline me and you blackmail me and you blacklist me, uh, you're actually not doing, uh, you're actually not doing the right thing. And and I, I want to say something quick to on Israel. Yeah. The, the I believe that because of the propaganda, the U.S. has to be able to explain to the people the human shield part. Yeah, I agree. They need, yeah, they need to be able to explain to the people because I love Israel. And I love Israel because um, the way I grew up, you know, as a Christian, you used to tell us about you know, everything in Israel, you know, where Jesus was born, you know, things like yeah. that. And I actually don't have any Palestinian friends. But, you know, if the only thing you see on TV are images of children and women being killed, you're not going to like that country. Yeah. And I believe that the U.S. and the Israeli government, they need to also work on changing the narrative and explaining that they actually is not their intention yeah. to kill innocent people, to kill innocent children. They just want to live in peace and they, they are doing everything possible to make sure that they live in peace with Israel because the Palestine and Israel conflict is polluting relations between U.S. and Africa right now. That's one of the biggest problems. People are saying, hey, you know, you can't trust these people because they're allowing people in Palestine to die. Yeah. But they also don't see that, you know, it's really hard 
for Israel to look the other way when Hamas sends rockets, when Hamas sent thousands of people to kill innocent women and children in Israel. And, and so Israel is saying, what do we do? Should we just fold our hands and allow rockets to keep coming into Israel? And so I think that uh, they should be able to really explain that to people, that they see stand for human rights, but they also stand for justice and fairness. And, you know, I, I think if they do that fairly, you'll be, you'll be, be able to repair those relationships. You are spot on and absolutely right. Simon, how can people follow you and, you know, stay in touch with all the great work that you're doing? Yeah, just go to at Simon Ateba, A-T-E-B-A, Simon, S-I-M-O-N, A-T-E-B-A on X, or go to our website, todaynewsafrica.com. Well, I want to say thank you so much for what you're doing. You are a truth speaker, and, and that's why we have the freedom of the press and the freedom of speech and freedom of expression here in the United States of America. And I think that you're a treasure for us to have here in America, and I wish you all the best. And thank you, and a Merry Christmas to you. And I just want to say to everyone out there, please follow Simon and all the work that he's doing. And if you enjoyed this interview and if you enjoyed this podcast, please click the like button and share it with others. And they'll tell next time, remain steadfast and loyal, as I know Simon will remain steadfast and loyal. God bless you, my friend, and thank you. Thank you so much. Yeah. Before they burn it down.